The scripture for today's sermon comes from 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 11. The word of God speaks to us. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for their favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so that he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner, In this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. This is the word of God to us. Well, good morning. My name is Chad. And I say this with all genuineness. We say it every week, but like, I would love the opportunity to meet you, to, to hear what God is doing in your life. We, we have anchored so much of what we're trying to do out here in Yukon off of Paul's words to the Thessalonians. It's like that you've become so, the people have become so dear to us that we were happy not only to give the gospel, but our lives as well. And that's one that I want to live out and not just say repeatedly. And so with that in mind, I, I absolutely want to share you kind of, something of a beautiful sadness that we've been carrying. And as a church, we talk about this in our membership. We talk about it all the time. We are a sending church. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. And that means sometimes it stings when we actually send out people we love. But on the 17th of September, we will commission and send Bryce and Robin Johnson and their two kids, their two precious kids, to launch out of this place and go and be a part of a church plant in Austin. So what we, we want to just publicly name, there will be more that we say, but like we love this couple. We're, Robin and the kids are welcome back anytime. I don't know about Bryce, but Robin and the kids are welcome back. We love them so much uh, and we are so excited about what the future holds for them. And over the next few weeks, we very much wanted you all to know so that uh, whatever needs to be said or ways to honor them and just bless them as they go. If you're a letter writer, write a letter. If you're a hugger, hug them for the next few weeks. And then start finding out more and more ways in which you can pray for them in the days ahead. And so there's more to be said. There's certainly more that we want to do to celebrate and honor and send. But it, it always stings, right? It always stings when, it, when we send out our best, when we send out flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. And so we will miss your family in, in desperate, desperate ways. And we have another church that we get to pray for in such beautiful ways beautiful ways. So uh, with that being said, let's stop and pray. Let's stop and pray and remember 
that we want to be a people who are happy uh, not only to know the gospel, but to give the gospel, and not only to have our own lives, but to give our lives away to one another. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the beautiful sadness of saying goodbye to loved ones. We thank you for the gift that this church in Yukon has of giving away our best to to another church in ways in which you would send and, and do a mighty work in this area. And so, God, we pray that even that as an introduction would form us and help us to think about what you're calling us to through this text. And we ask that you just do a work in us. Right now, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and open our hearts for the surgery that you would do on us this morning from your very word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we, we finished 1 Corinthians. And now this morning, our text is in 2 Corinthians, and so you should have at least some basis of what, like, the, like the context of everything. But we're, we're taking last week, this week, and the next week, and just a look around what does faithfulness look like and how do we pursue it? How, how would we pursue faithfulness? I love the way the psalmist kind of rephrases that. And the psalmist in Psalm 37 verse 3 says, befriend faithfulness. And there's so many ways in which I, I can get lost, but pursue and befriend helps me to start bobbing and weaving with how we put this into practice. And maybe, maybe to put a finer point on it, we might say, what does gospel hope look like for you and me today? With all that is swirling, with all that is coming at us, with all of the things in which would steal our faith, or knock us off our stride, the, the things that scare us, the things that, that just make us run to other things. What does it look like us for, for, to find gospel hope in this moment? And I, I want to I read a verse that Jeff actually read last week for us. I want us to read this verse again because this is a verse that will wake me up at night. It stirs me. It scares me. And it gets my attention for my own soul, but for our church broadly and for so many people that I've walked with over the years. Here's what Romans 1 verses 21 through 23 says. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him, but they became, catch these, catch these verbs that come up, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal. Now this passage should get our attention <laughs> Because it's a people just like you and I who, they, they, for they knew God. And yet something happened. They became something that they probably never intended to. They, they certainly weren't like, oh, we want to be futile in our ways and darkened in our thinking. They, they weren't thinking like of this. They, they, there was an exchange that was made whether they recognized it or not. And my fear for us is that we're people who know the right songs to sing and know the right uh, things to do or more, maybe not do. Yet we're actually often not walking with God. What does it look like for us to pursue God in this moment? 
And Jeff talked one aspect of that last week about an embodying presence that the, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the living God calls us not just to know facts about God, but to actually embody it with presence in a life right here. In, in the here and now, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in the middle of the week, at the end of the week, and not just on Sundays, that we would be people embodying the gospel that he has given us, that it changes lives and that we live differently because of it. Yet so often we fall into one of two ditches, don't we? We, we kind of say, okay, I want to I pursue faithfulness. And so we might fall into this ditch of like uh, just all the rules, all the things that I've got to do. And if I just do all these things, if I check all these boxes, then I would somehow have found faithfulness if I just keep and check all of these things. But not so fast, friends. It's so easy for us to fall into this ditch of moralism or legalism and start getting to a point where we think, well, I've done my part. I haven't done these three visible sins this week or this day, and I haven't done this, and yet our hearts might be far from him. The opposite is true as well. We might not fall into that ditch, but so often today when we're like, oh, faithfulness, we just we would fall into the opposite ditch. Is like, well, I'm just not even going to think about that. That's too complex, and so I'm just not even going to kind of let my mind go there. And so we fall into this ditch often around ignorance or just ignoring where I just don't even want to look at it and think about it, and yet the the Bible says, pursue faithfulness, befriend faithfulness. And we're trying to wrestle with that. Like, so how do we embody this? And this morning, my answer, my short answer to a complex question is that we would walk this out. Pursuing faithfulness involves increasingly seeing, believing, and responding to Jesus as the greatest treasure. Increasingly seeing, and hear this, this is true, believing and responding to Jesus as his greatest, greatest treasure, the one who gives without withholding, the one who lavishes and doesn't just hold back from us. Like, how would we pursue faithfulness is that in an embodied way, in a, in a way that actually is a part of me on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, in all the moments where people are with me and in the moments when nobody's with me, and that I'm sitting there recognizing that this longing that I have in my heart is actually fulfilled in Jesus more. How do we do that? And so, like, what we're saying when we're, we're raising this question of pursuing faithfulness and how do we do it is how do we become more like the ultimate giver? How do we become more and more like this one who pours out and doesn't withhold? What does that look like for us in the day-to-day, -day, in the everyday places of our life. And so that's how we're going to walk this out today. There's no big twist. There's no like gotcha moment in this. There's none of those things. We'll just simply walk through three sections. What are we really talking about when we talk about giving? Because let's be honest, even, the, even just bringing that up as a topic that we're going to say pursuing faithfulness through giving, that might like make you sit on your wallet a little bit more or get nervous or been like, oh, I've been to a church like this or I've seen this. And what are we really talking about? 
The second thing is why? Why does giving matter? What, it, what difference does it make? Is it just so we can fix ceiling tiles or do some things? No, why does giving matter? And three, how are we to go about pursuing faithfulness through giving? And so I want to dive in right here, and I just want to start right here with the text that we're in, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want us to see a couple things that come out, and it's just a strange thing. This section, again, this is Paul writing to the people of Corinth. We, we spent a year in the first letter. Here is the end or a later portion of the second letter to these people. Paul is deeply invested in them. We know that there were, they had massive ups and downs, and yet here's Paul in a chapter, particularly eight, but even into nine, in which so much of it is about like actual physical monetary giving but it's not simply that. Notice what he says, verse 1. He says, "We want you to know, brothers and we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia." Now we'll read the rest of this, but I want you to skip down to chap- to verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9. I want you to catch some words that come out similarly, for you know The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul frames up this entire section around giving, and he frames both ends and says it's all grace. It's actually grace, and we're not talking dollars and cents, we're talking everything. We're talking all so much more is going on in that. He frames it up both ends and says it's all grace. Now, here's how we know that, that though he was rich and would anyone have described Jesus on this earth as rich, financially rich? No, Jesus is the one who is rich because he was in heaven. He was on the throne in heaven, and he steps out of the heavenlies to take on flesh and blood and come here to live and walk as a man. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And just so we're clear, and so we don't twist this up, this has nothing to do with somehow winning the lottery. And yet, it is so much bigger than winning the lottery. It's grace. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This is Paul saying, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. The Apostle Paul thinks it's important enough to tell the church in Corinth about what? About the grace of God. About the grace of God right here. And that the giving is actually a grace. You see, it's the giving of individuals in Macedonia that he names. It's the giving of individuals here. And in other letters, he'll do the same thing of other places. He'll talk about the Philippians in different places or the Thessalonians, but here he names the individuals. He's naming people in Macedonia that has been such a grace to so many. They were a part of seeing churches planted. I'm guessing that they sent out people that they love. They were seeing people come to faith. They were helping seed this. They were being hospitable people, and they were seeing the furtherance of all of it, every bit of it, to the point where this, there's such grace on the giving of the people of Macedonia that 2,000 years later, we're reading it and naming what they were a part of. It's huge. 
But the Macedonians aren't the ultimate, are they? It's, it was Jesus who became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. And he makes a point to say that this benefits you. The question is, like, how much do we actually believe that? How much do we actually believe it? And he gives this example of the Macedonians. And so what are we really talking about when we we bring up pursuing faithfulness through giving? It's something more than just money that's happening because here's our first point. Giving is the practice of increasingly putting all our trust in the ultimate giver. And the one who gives perfectly, and the one who gives ultimately, and the one who does not hold back, and the one who lavishes, it's putting our trust, increasingly putting our trust in the one who is the ultimate giver. And so this passage and others, giving is, is about more than money. That's the, that's the box in which we get stuck in. It's certainly not less than that, but, but God wants us to trust him with our everything. It's our everything, every aspect of our life. You see, giving is one of those things that, that it's like you found the nerve, right? Some of you are sitting different just with the topic at hand. And uncomfortable or on edge or even defensive of like, oh, I'm going to pay attention today. Not, not because I want to hear any of this, so to make sure that he's not poking around in places that he's not supposed to poke around in, right? We, we start to feel it in, in even the topic of giving, let alone the, the practice of giving. Giving is like this soul turner or tuner, rather. It's like it, it tunes our souls. It's a revealer. It's a revealer of where we actually put our trust. It declares this high view of who he is. It's, God, I have so many fears. I have so many needs. I have so many things that cost today, and yet you are the greatest treasure. Help my heart to believe this. It's a revealer. And it is a practice for us. It's a practice of pursuing faithfulness. Think about it like this. In each part of our service, in each part of what we've gone through, what we call, what we would refer to as a liturgy as we've gone through this, we started with a call to worship, and then we moved to actual singing. The call isn't from the, the worship leader on stage. The call is from the leaving God inviting you to worship him. Believing God. And we have this moment in our service, which we say this every week, and we do this intentionally to remind our hearts and to tune our hearts and, and to like get, get ourselves embodying this and that we are a welcomed people. God has welcomed us. And so what do we want to do? We want to welcome other people. And, and the same is true when we approach something like giving. It's like, why? Why? We want to give, not because there is some checkbox for you to, to fill out, Give that we might pursue lives, pursue faithfulness by our our lives becoming more and more in line with the ultimate giver. That we might look more and more like the ultimate giver in our lives, in every aspect of it. That's what's happening here. And trusting God and giving is this physical embodying of the grace of God as our as our provider, as our, as a, 
as our source, as the power and pattern for faithfulness. And that's easier said than done. That's easier said than done. Because it's easy to say, yes, God, I trust you. Yes, God, I trust you. And then continue to go about all these practices in our lives. Let me tell you, let me put it in a picture for you. Uh, Maybe you've heard the name Charles Blondin. And Charles Blondin in 1859 became famous for this. He was a tightrope walker. And Charles Blondin wasn't just any tightrope walker. He wasn't just like at the fair or at the circus or something. He made a name for himself walking the quarter mile across Niagara Falls, which is 160 feet up in the air over this raging waterfall from Canada to the U.S. And people would line up on both sides to watch this guy do it. It doesn't stop there, which is hard enough if you ever like jumped on a slack line or something. Like that's impressive as it is. This guy was like taking pogo sticks and everything. Like I'm not making this up. He crossed in a sack, which I guess he hopped across. The story goes that he rode a bicycle across. That he, it went on and on how he would do this. He would go across in different ways. At one point, I'm not making this up. I promise you I read it in multiple accounts. He apparently took a portable stove in 1859, like a, a camp stove of some sort, and cooked an omelet while walking across Niagara Falls. It's like, friend, you're just showing off now. You're just flexing, like, come on now, we didn't need that. You, we, you know, I know I can't do that. Stop, stop proving yourself. But the, what, what made this guy famous and why we speak about Charles Blondin today is that apparently there was a time in which Charles Blondin, catch all the parts of this, Charles Blondin took a wheelbarrow, crossed over backwards with a wheelbarrow, and blindfolded across Niagara Falls. Like, print. Okay, now my brain just goes to how could we make this any harder than it actually is? He gets across, people are like, man, that guy's amazing. You are incredible. And he says, you think I can do it again? Yes, we've seen you do all sorts of crazy things. Okay, who's going to hop in the wheelbarrow? And I I can put myself in this story. It's like, oh, man, I got things to do. I didn't realize how busy I am today and places I've got to be. And so uh, you're awesome and amazing. I trust you, but I got other things to do. And how often do we approach faith or approach Jesus in a really similar fashion? In which we've seen God again and again provide. We've seen God do amazing things. We've seen God raise the dead. We've seen God heal the sick. We've seen God move mountains. We have seen God answer prayers. We have seen God literally change lives. We have seen God break the chains of addiction. We have seen God restore marriages. We have seen God again and again provide when there was no way possible on our own. And yet, so often we're unwilling to hop in and trust him. And we might know God. 
but suddenly become something that we didn't even recognize. And that's the fear. You see, giving isn't the only way. It isn't the only way that we show our trust in God, but it is a way. It is an important way. It's a visceral, tangible stretching of our faith. A reminder for our hearts, a call to our souls to trust and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And we live in Oklahoma, I know that. There's, like, there's no great expanse for us to go find. There's no Niagara Falls for us to, to run out to. And we really shouldn't be looking to take on undue crazy risk just for the fun of it. But life has enough, right? Life has enough of those moments that come at us. I would say this, we practice daily what we really believe. And friends, not to mix too many metaphors, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> like you, maybe you've heard the phrase, you are what you ooze. And when life squeezes, what comes out of you is who you really are and what you're really putting your faith in in which you're really trusting. And so the first thing that we've got to catch is that giving is this practice, this increasingly trusting God with our whole lives, our whole selves. And it's one thing just to say it. It's one thing to sing it. It's one thing to come regularly. It's a whole other thing that when you're squeezed and when you're pressed and when life is hard and falling apart around you, that you stand in those moments and you say, God, I trust you. Giving is a practice that helps tune our heart and, and set us right there. I trust you with everything, God. And so why does it matter? Why is this such a big deal to us? I want you to see something really important right here that hopefully kind of blows us out of this box of just finances. Notice what is happening with these people. Verse 2 says this, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let this just like explode out whatever box that you've been trying to put God in and catch this. The second thing is giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Giving isn't to keep the lights on. Giving it involves money, and that is clear from Scripture. They gave according to their means. But it goes on and says, and beyond their means of their own accord. But giving is not limited to, to money. That's not, that's not the whole conversation. That's not even close to what is happening right here. It, notice it says they were begging us. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part 
in the relief of the saints. Let me rephrase that. For taking part in the work of the ministry, for taking part, for having a part in what God was doing in this area. They were begging us for this. And, and again, the takeaway isn't like, okay, someone begged Jeff Nine to take part in church planting. Like that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is that these people saw this as an act of worship. And they gave themselves first to the Lord. Notice what we're talking about now. They gave themselves to the Lord first. They gave themselves to the Lord first and then by the will of God to us. And here's the mind bender. Here's the one that wrecked me this week. That giving is a source of joy. Notice notice this. It has nothing to do with their circumstances. It has nothing to do with their their bank account or their 401k or their plan over the next 10 years and where they want to be. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It says their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Here's where we see how much this is a revealer because it just, it just so highlights. It is a testimony. See, the Macedonians are amazing, not because of some number that was given. In fact, we're not told any number of it. They're amazing because what was enormous is the testimony that they lived. This testimony of faith. And it's a testimony of a counterintuitive nature. It's a testimony of a kingdom that does not make sense through earthly eyes. A kingdom in which Jesus himself just said repeatedly, he's like, the first shall be last. He says in Matthew 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. In Luke chapter 9, he talks about like, hey, the one who receives these little ones, the ones who receives the least of these is the greatest among us. He turns all of it on its head. It's not the loudest shouter at the debate. It's not the loudest one in the room or the one with the best CV or the best, the best resume or the best background. It's not any of those things. He who is least is the one who's great. And Paul, the one who's writing this letter right here, and these words right here, uh, expounds on this in other areas. In the letter to the Philippians, he says, man, what, how does he phrase it? He says, like, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All those things that are amazing by worldly standards, Paul says, are rubbish. Are rubbish. In comparison. And in fact, Paul says it this in chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. He, he goes on and he says this. Catch, catch what comes out here. Even, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice. Rejoice with you all. Even if I have to give everything away in this life, if everything is asked of me and everything is given of me in this life, if I'm poured out as a drink offering for your faith, I am glad 
Yeah, we're not having a dollars and cents conversation, are we? He goes on in chapter 4 where he is talking particularly about uh, seeing these other churches planted and set up and the giving of the saints among them. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, not that I seek the gift. He would say, he'll say in there, like, I have everything, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. To your credit. That you would be a part and recognize that God is doing work far beyond what our eyes can see or our wallets can feel. God is doing something and he's appealing to you and me to pursue faithfulness in a tangible, counterintuitive, life-changing way through the spiritual act of giving. I, I would add, we could throw in a lot of things into that. Through this spiritual act of parenting, through this spiritual act of singleness, we could talk about all sorts of things right here and do this. But here's a particular tangible way in which we know it touches on all these nerves and it touches on other loves and it touches on other lords in our life, other idols that we have. And here's why it is particularly important for us. It's so important because this is the paradigm shift that changes how we see everything. Trusting God and worshiping him are, are not just sanitized thoughts or, or orderly events that fit neatly in our schedules and our comfort zones. It's not like, okay, help me trust you, God. I'm just going to check out a book from the library. And I'm going to figure that out. Because here's what I found. Here's what I found. If you were to check out a book from the library on how to change the oil in your car, you're going to get the wrench on, and then you're going to rip your knuckles open on something, and you're like, oh, that wasn't as easy as I thought. If you were going to do that about basketball or sport or any other thing, you'd get out there and find, oh, there's some real-life activities that are harder to learn just from reading it on a page. We've got to live it out and practice this. We've got to live this out and practice when I was dating my now wife, I had a prayer in my life. It was like, God, if you, if you were to, to lead us in separate directions for whatever reason, God, I want to trust you. I want to trust you. I want, I want to trust you. And I was, real, I was pretty proud of myself. I was like, this is a real prayer. I really mean it. And I, and I, it, it, I was genuine. I really meant it. And it was, it, it was earnest and with everything I had, and it was about an inch deep. Because I thought, somehow, I didn't realize this, but I thought when we got married, I wouldn't have to pray that anymore. And I thought that when we got married, I'd be like, God, if something were to happen to her, like, all this is set right now. And yet, what I found is that life throws all sorts of things at you. And the reality is that my prayer has just increased in depth and fears and everything in which it's like, God, if something were to happen to her, if something were to happen to our family, and now it's not just her, right? I've got three daughters, and it's like, oh, God, if something were to happen to my kids, I want to trust you that you're not playing games with my life, that your best is best, that you have a perfect plan that you see over hills that I cannot see. What I found is that prayer doesn't stop, it deepens, and I need more and more parts of my life. I need more and more moments in my life where I am tangibly moving to trust him and putting skin in this game, and it's not just some mental exercise. 
And giving isn't everything, but it is a tangible skin in the game in, was, in which is like, God, I'm trying to pay the bills. And I don't know how we're going to do this this month. And yet you are the real provider. You are the, the one in which my heart needs to trust, not in whatever statement comes in. And so how do we do that? How do we stand in this? And how do we approach giving as not just a checklist, not just as something that we ignore or run from, but like pursuing faithfulness? And again, it's not like I'm pursuing faithfulness on how much I'm pursuing. I'm trying, God, to walk in your footsteps and walk in a way that my life is lining up with yours more and more. I want you to see what these verses say in chapter 8. Verse 7 and 8 says this, But as you excel in everything, in faith, how have you pursued faith? As you, as you excel in everything, in speech, that you've tried to tame your tongue, and bring that into submission, as you, as you excel in knowledge, as you studied and become someone who is a person of the word and, and leaning into these things in all earnestness and in our love for you, as you've grown in these things, see that you excel. Here's that phrase. In this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And so here's my final point. How do we live this? How do we do this? It's giving, giving is the both, it's the both and act of obedience and participation in God's redeeming work. Now that's a tricky tongue twister. So uh, if you leave that up there for just a second so they see it. It's the both and act of obedience and participation in God's redeeming work. And as we lay in this, I just want to put it, I, I want to put this in the context of tithing just so we have something tangible to do. But our box is gone, right? Because we're not just talking about money, right? We understand that. We're talking about a whole life that is his. But as an action step right here, we, we do want to say, here, here are just three kind of pairs for you to think about. The first one I would say, and how do we live this out and how do we practice it? is we want to be people who are, are holding these two things together, obeying and honoring. And I've talked about this before. This isn't my first time to kind of stand up here and talk about this. It is uh, tithing is one of those things that you hear us talk about all the time, and it's like, oh, I guess I should do that. I guess I want to do that. I guess I have to do that. Or someone's going to call me and ask me about that. How do we obey in tithing? And that's one thing. But you can obey without ever honoring. It's like, oh, I've done that this week, God, or I've done that this month, or it's, they're, they're not going to ask me about it, or they're gonna, not going to talk about it, or I'm not going to feel so guilty because I haven't any of those things. And we can just check boxes and obey and not ever honor. But the goal isn't that we just obey. The goal is that we would honor God with our lives, that we'd walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God. And so you can obey without honor, but you can never honor God without obeying. You can obey without honoring, but you could never honor without also obeying. And so we want to be people who carry those two tensions. It's like, God, I don't want to just be someone who goes through the motions. 
of coming to church or doing these things or not doing these things. I want to be someone who is living a life that is seeking to honor and obey you in everything I do. And the second thing I would say is that we want to be people who are preparing and practicing. Preparing and practicing. You know, because life hits us. Life hits us. I've got three drivers now in my house beyond my wife and I. And that means things are coming and things hit us, or we hit things. It's easy for you to laugh, isn't it? (laughs) Dennis, we'll talk later. Yours are little bitty. (laughs) So we want to prepare, right? We want to be people who are thinking like, God, uh, life comes from all over the place. Help me to hit trust. And prepare isn't just like get your, your accounts in order. That's not it. It's like your heart in order. Because it doesn't matter who you are, like life comes at you and you're going to panic. <laughs> you're going to panic. The question is, have you prepared? And then we practice, right? We step into these things and we practice. We actually practice. And we're not just talking about preparing our bank accounts. We're, we're talking about like preparing our calendar, preparing our eyes to see opportunities that we have, preparing all around us that we would live and walk in this way. And then we practice it in which we're praying on the way home of like, God, help me to have eyes for my neighbors. Help me to have eyes for their needs and how, like, God, I can be a blessing to them and give my life away to them and be happy because they've become so dear to us that I wouldn't just, like, give them the gospel, but I would give my life. And then finally, that we would commit and say, God, this is your day. This is your, your stuff. This is yours. I'm going to commit, and I'm going to follow through. And it's here where we experience what the Macedonians experience. It's the joy of participating with God in his work near and far. And so here, hear this. It's God, the one who's been pursuing you whole life, the ultimate giver, the greatest treasure. It's this God and his act of grace for your good, for your joy, for the blessing of others, and for the advancing of his kingdom that says, come follow after me, the ultimate giver. Pursue faithfulness and see this world differently. And hear hear God's invitation for you. To be a whole life giver. Trusting in God and worshiping him in the moment by moment opportunities that he trusts with you. Would you bow your heads with me?